Well done. Thank you, everybody. Thank you so much. Man, I tell you what, Michael, if you're here anyway, uh, Ashling's husband, you married well. You're dynamite, Ashling. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, good morning, church family. Well, good afternoon, church family. Uh, it's great to be together. And you know what I love so much? No wonder the Bible says in Hebrews that we should not stop meeting together. I love it because, you know, when, when you think about the gospel and how Christ is in me, the hope of glory, Colossians 1.27, and then we're in Christ in the heavens, Ephesians 2.6, seated with him above, far above a rule and authority, power and dominion. If If he's in us on earth and we're in him in heaven, how can there be anything but an open heaven above our heads? And when you think about that, that is absolutely life altering. That revelation will alter the course of your life. When you think about, I like to think about it like this though, that me walking under an open heaven because Christ is under an open heaven ever since he came up out of the waters of baptism, the heavens were torn open And they've never been shut over Jesus. And yet now, because he rose again from the dead, now he's alive in each of us. He's alive in me. Now there's this open heaven above my head. But it's kind of like me-shaped size. But when I get together with Kate, my wife, now the two of us, now that pipe's a little fatter. Not saying that she's fat or anything. (laughs) Just... The two of that wouldn't be good for any marriage, but the two of us together is a fatter pipe than just one of us on our own. But then if we get together with Murray and Ash, now it's even fatter. Man, if we get together as an entire church family, wow, we're right now sitting under a very, very wide, fat pipe of blessing under heaven, an open heaven above our heads. And then when you think about, you know, the whole body of Christ meeting together here in Raleigh, Durham, Chapel Hill, this whole region meeting together right now, think about how fat that pipe is of possibilities. It's so much fatter than when we just sit at home on our own listening to a podcast. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with watching online and we welcome all of you that are joining us online. But I tell you what, there's nothing like being together with church family. It's a fat, fat blessing. And we're a fat bride. And we're glad for that. And Jesus is not looking for a skinny, scrawny bride. He wants a fat bride filled with all the nations of the earth. Amen. I want to speak this morning on slime. Let's start that one again, okay? It's good to get the title right. On slaying giants in 2020. I'm glad you're excited about that. You know, 2020 is a year filled with extraordinary promises of blessing. It's been prophesied over and over again that there is going to be the greatest harvest of souls the world has ever experienced the greatest displays of power the world has ever experienced in any generation, the enemy being torn down left, right and center all over the earth more than any other generation. But it would be a very good thing for each of us to posture our hearts in a position of faith 
in God that he will fulfill his promises. Because just because God's promised it does not necessarily mean that you enter the land of promise. And we know that before we get into the main scripture, which will be in Luke 4, I just want to take a moment just by way of opening up the scriptures to you, opening up this message to you. In the book of Numbers chapter 13, we see how Israel, though they were brought out of Egypt supernaturally with extraordinary signs and wonders by Moses, the Israelites, as they entered into the wilderness, those miracles continued. God gave them manna, supernatural food. God gave them water from the rocks, supernatural water. It says that their sandals never wore out. Their clothes never wore out. God did extraordinary supernatural miracles over and over and over again. But that first generation that came out of Egypt was not the generation that entered into the promised land. And the reason for that is because of unbelief. And the, the, the story in Numbers, there was only two people from that generation who actually entered into the promised land, and that was Joshua and Caleb. And in, in, in Numbers 13, right after they'd spent a short amount of time in the wilderness, just enough time to meet with God, to have face-to-face -face encounters with God, for God to lead them in a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of cloud by the day, for the elders of Israel to eat with God on a pavement of sapphire on Mount Sinai, for that generation to see God come in, a, in great fire on the entire mountain. And yet, when it came to the border of the promised land, just a few weeks later, Moses sent 12 spies by revelation from God, instruction from the Holy Spirit, into the promised land to go and spy out the land. The purpose of them spying was that they would come back with a good report to give to the people of Israel so that the people of Israel would be excited about entering in. They went in for 40 days. Everybody say 40 days. They went in for 40 days into the promised land and they found absolutely it was true. The land that God promised was a very, very good land. And they came back with some of the produce of the land. The Bible tells us that it took two people with a pole to carry an entire single cluster of grapes from that land. You know what that means? It means that not only was the land a good land, it means that the God who promised that land was a good God because he gave them such enormous gigantic clusters of grapes so that they could have an endless supply of wine. And right now, on this four, I'm, I mean, I know as a church we're on a 21-day fast, but the Holy Spirit has spoken to me before we as leaders chose the 21-day fast. The Lord had already said to me, I want you to fast for 40 days. And I said, Lord, what type of fast would you like me to do? He said, I'd like you to fast. And I was like, please, Jesus, don't let it be entirely food and water, please. <laughs> and he said to me, I want you to fast from alcohol. Don't talk right now. We'll all know that's your religious spirit. Don't breathe a word right now. Don't say anything. I'm just joking. And the Bible tells us in Psalm 104 that God made bread to make a man strong, wine to make his heart glad, and oil to make his face shine. And of course, bread, wine, oil, they're all Jesus except they come through crushing. They don't exist until the natural is crushed. And from the crushing of the natural comes the, the, the bread, the wine, and the oil, which of course is a type of the cross. 
and uh, the suffering that you did just such a brilliant job leading us all in into the mountain of suffering. And I thank God, everybody, church family, that Jesus Christ is the alpha and the omega of all suffering. He took the entire human suffering experience, both as the perpetrator of suffering and the victim of suffering, all of it, from Adam to the last baby born before he dies, before he comes back, I mean. He took it all and became it at the cross. What a, what a glorious God. There's not a single moment of suffering that God can't relate to because already God who was made flesh has already experienced that suffering at the cross. And what is the purpose of suffering? The purpose of suffering is for testing and through the testing comes the victory. It's in the midst of the suffering that we see how good God is. I preached on that a few weeks ago. Now I want to get back to this moment when the, so they came back with all this fruit, but the Bible tells them, tells us that they gave a bad report to the Israelites. They said, yes, the land is good and God uh, as, as this land that he's promised is true. God said the truth there. However, he forgot to tell you something. He forgot to mention that there's fortified cities with very high walls and there's giants in the land. And not only that, those giants, ooh, they're the sons of Anak. They're the descendants of the Nephilim. Now the Bible doesn't tell us exactly who the Nephilim were, but what the Bible does tell us very categorically and very clearly is that everyone except eight people died in the flood of Noah. That means that whatever Nephilim there were, whatever those Nephilim were, and they're mentioned in early chapters of Genesis, those Nephilim were gone in the flood. But here we are several hundred years later and they're still talking about the Nephilim because they're scared of the boogeyman. It's become like a fable. Oh my gosh, the Nephilim. And this, this unreality concerning giants has grown bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And now it's become so monstrous in their minds that they say this in Numbers 13, verse 33. It says this, and my goodness, the Holy Spirit showed me this is a window, everybody, into the hearts of humanity, into our hearts. They say this, yes, and even the descendants of the Anak are there, the, uh, even the Anak, sons of Anak are there, the descendants of the Nephilim. And they're the giants in the land. And we were like grasshoppers in our own eyes said 10 spies. And so we were in their eyes. Do you realize that how you view yourself determines exactly how the world around you determines and views you? If you see yourself as worth nothing and worthless, everyone around you will confirm what you believe about yourself. And you will see them looking at you as nothing and worthless. But if you know that you are a son or a daughter of your heavenly daddy and that you're loved by God and that you're more than a conqueror and that you are not a sinner any longer, you are righteous and you are holy and you are mighty and you're victorious in Christ Jesus and no sickness will touch you. No devil shall harm you. Nothing under the sun can lay a finger on you because your life is hidden with Christ in God. God, 
You're the head and not the tail. And that you're filled with the giant slayer, Jesus Christ himself. And you've got the glory of God emanating from you. And devils are running as fast as they can from you. And Satan himself is under your feet. If that's your belief, guess what? All the demons, all of the hordes of of hell, all of the uh, satanic realm, principalities, rulers and authorities will treat you with kingship. Shakaraba. So we want to make sure that we're giant slayers and that giants are having their heads cut off left, right and center around us by the word of God emanating from us and that we're not the ones running away from the giants. Why? Because there's a promised land that we're about to go into in 2020 and through the next decade and beyond that is way, 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 way beyond the blessing of anything that we've ever experienced before. But God wants you to face giants so that you know how to reign as a king well. Just like he allowed David to face Goliath before David came to the throne. All right, now I want you to turn with me to the book of Luke chapter 4 because we want to look at how Jesus handled the giants because he's the giant slayer. And if we can see how he slayed the giants in his life, then we'll understand how he wants to continue slaying the giants in his life or or through us, by his life, all around us. So let's look at Luke chapter four. Jesus has just been baptized. He hasn't done a single miracle. He's been a carpenter's son and age 30, He comes onto the scene in the midst of a glorious revival that John the Baptist was leading and he himself was baptized and the Holy Spirit descended upon him when the heavens were opened and the voice came and said, you are my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. I want you to notice that the father spoke that affirmation and backed it up by the presence of love himself, the Holy Spirit over the beloved son before he did a miracle. In the same way the Father loves us for who we are and not for what we do. So verse one, then Jesus being filled with the Holy Spirit, everybody say filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. You know, I want you to notice, here's this moment, Jesus has the most extraordinary moment where he's totally enveloped and baptized by the Holy Spirit, and he hears the Father's voice, you're my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. The heavens are torn open, he's now under an open heaven, and the first thing the Holy Spirit does is he leads him into the the wilderness. Being tempted, or rather tested, it is actually, the Greek is tested for 40 days by the devil. And in those days he ate nothing, and afterwards when they had ended, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, if you're the son of God, command this stone to become bread. But Jesus answered him saying, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Then the devil taking him up on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, all this authority I will give to you and their glory 
for this has been delivered to me and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship before me, all will be yours. And Jesus answered and said to him, get behind me, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve or him only you shall serve. Then he brought him to Jerusalem and he set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down from here for it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you and in their hands, they shall bear you up lest you dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered and said to him, it has been said, you shall not test the Lord your God. You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Now, when the devil had ended every temptation or every testing, he departed from him until an opportune time. Then Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee and the news of him went out through all the surrounding region. He hadn't even done a single miracle, everybody. And he went out into all, and the news about him went out into all the surrounding region. Hmm. You know what that tells me? That tells me that Jesus, having conquered Satan himself, having bound the strong man, having resisted every temptation for 40 days in the power of the, in the, in the, in the fellowship and friendship of the Holy Spirit, so that he now comes out in the power of the Holy Spirit. It tells me that every single principality, power, demon, ruler of authority in the dark world, every one of them was sent running, quaking, panic in the whole enemy camp, news spreading all over. Oh my gosh, that's it. It's over everybody. The King of glory has defeated Satan. And Jesus just spent the next three and a half years plundering the dominion of darkness. Now, there's so much that we can learn out of this passage right here. And I want you to, to realize, okay, that when Satan appeared to Jesus, I don't think that he appeared to him in a red, cape, red coat with little horns, you know, and uh, a forked tongue, saying, hi, the devil. Woo! I think he appeared to Jesus looking a lot like God. The Bible tells us that Satan himself masquerades like an angel of light. And he appeared to Jesus, to the man Jesus Christ, who in John 1, 14, John 1, 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, John 1, 14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And here now, Jesus, the eternal Son of God, confined to an ordinary body like yours and mine of flesh and blood, and he's confronted by this glorious, angelic superhero, superpower, who Jesus himself said is the ruler of the whole world. He said that in John 14, verse 32. The ruler of the world comes against me, but he has nothing in me. And he, he doesn't challenge 
whether or not Satan had authority in that moment to give him all the nations of the world. No, he doesn't challenge him. Because he knew that his mission was to win the entire world through the cross. We'll come on to that in a minute. But I believe that Satan came to Jesus like he does so often in all of our lives as the father. Except he came as the father of lies instead of the father of light. I first heard that from uh, Carlos Rodriguez, my friend. He said to me many years ago, actually it's in his book. Um, he said, the f you will be fathered by two fathers, whether you want to be or not. You're either going to be fathered by the father of lights, who's the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, or you're going to be fathered by the father of lies. You have one of two fathers. It's up to you which one you're going to allow to father you. And Jesus right here is confronted by a masquerading father who is creating a world around him that is a shortcut, short circuit to glory without paying the price for it. And I believe that, you know, let me say it like this. Um, right up until this morning, actually, as I was driving into church, I'd already got my whole sermon all prepared. And, you know, I was, had some of what I'm sharing with you, but, but not Luke 4. And as I'm driving in and I'm thinking about all of this, I'm thinking about, you know, how Jesus, and, and all of a sudden, I was thinking about my message, all of a sudden my thoughts went towards how Jesus overcame the enemy. And then the Lord just opened up the whole thing to me. And he showed me that those three things that Jesus was tempted in by, the, by Satan, those three tests were the ultimate tests for the human heart. Now, I'd always looked at the, you know, those story, there's a story of Jesus being tempted in the wilderness. And every time I got to it, I like to read my Bible from cover to cover every year. I'd like to encourage you to do the same because you'll notice that Jesus overcame by the word of God. He countered the lies of the father of lies with the word of truth. And you know, please don't live on prophecy Please don't live on reading books. Those things are great. Prophecy is great. Books are great. Podcasts are great. Watching YouTube videos is great. But none of it is greater than the Word of God. And if you can feast yourself on the Word of God, you will be a transformed human being. Your marriage will be transformed. Your parenting will be transformed. Your home will be transformed. Your workplace will be transformed. You will be a transformed human being because the Word of God will be constantly on your lips. You will be living according to the Word of God and the plan of God instead of making it up as you go along. And realizing that you're being led by the nose by the father of lies who masquerades looking just like God. The God that you'd like God to be rather than the God God actually is. Now, I thought about, yeah, all, most of my life, I've thought, you know, Lord, I just don't get it of all the temptations that Satan could come up with 
in thousands of years when he's confronted with God now made flesh, he confronts him with, why don't you turn those stones into bread? Like, I mean, that's not a big test for me. I guess if I'd been that hungry, maybe it would be. I don't know. But like stones to bread seems a little obvious. No, not going to do that. It'll be an abuse of my power. Take me up to the highest mountain. Show me the kingdoms of the world when I'm God and tell me to bow down to me, down to you, and I can have them all. Mm, Not sure that's a great test. Not that big of a deal. I made this world, you nummy. (laughs) And then number three, take me up to the top of the temple. Tell me to throw myself down. Yeah, because that's what humans do, don't they? That's what's bothering every human being is, oh my gosh, there's a temple. I just can't wait to get up there and throw myself down. And I've just been like, Lord, I just don't get it. And it wasn't until, I, I, know, I know, I'm a little slower. But it wasn't until I was driving in this morning that I realized the enormity of these things. He's confronting bread into stone. He's confronting witchcraft which is humans using the power of God for their own gain, to satisfy their own need without paying a price of relationship. Number two, he's confronting mammon, the love of money, which is the root of all evil. Why? Because it's a transaction that gives you pleasure according to your definition of what you think will be pleasurable. And actually God is eternal pleasure. God is eternal bliss. The Word of God says in Psalm 16 verse 11 that in your presence is fullness of joy, pleasures at your right hand forevermore. God is your eternal pleasure. You don't need money to be joyful. In fact, you don't need money to be free. And actually, a lot of people believe a lie that money brings you greater freedom. No, it doesn't. Money brings you greater bondage. Why? Because you have the more money you have, the more privilege you have, and therefore the more responsibility you have with what you have. And of course, those who love money become enslaved by it. I've just got to have a little bit more. It's never quite enough. But we were not created for mammon. We were created for God. Number three, leap off this temple. The devil is tempting Jesus with religion. Witchcraft, mammon, and religion. The three fundamental man-centered, human-centered, human-centric definition of what, of how to relate to God. And the devil confronts Jesus with it and Jesus hits him back with the word of God. Shikabanga, for us all to defeat the enemy, Satan. Why is throwing yourself off the temple religion? Well, because you see, it's when we entrust ourselves by our actions into the hands of God. I'm going to leap off what he's already told me 
Think about the temple for just a moment, okay? I know it was Herod's temple and so on, but it was symbolic at that time of the house of God. It was symbolic prior to the cross, first the tabernacle, then the temple was symbolic of one day I'm going to dwell with you. One day I'm going to come in the flesh and for eternity, because I've been made flesh, you are going to be made eternal spirit with me in resurrection. So in the same way that I'm going to come and dwell with you and tabernacle myself with you in the flesh, I am going to allow you to eternally dwell with me in the spirit. I'm going to come into your tabernacle and then I'm going to bring you into my eternal mansions with the Father. You're, I'm going to be your eternal dwelling place, me and the Father. And, and so Jesus is the antithesis of religion because Jesus is the Father's eternal beloved and he's the eternal expression of relationship between the Father and the Son and he's been eternally given to us so that we can have the same relationship that the eternal Father and the eternal Son have enjoyed by the eternal Spirit. We in Christ have been brought into that relationship and that is our foundation. That's what we stand on and we actually need nothing else from God. Christ is the finished work of the Trinity. For all of eternity, we are centered on Christ and we do not need to leap off to find God, to find out whether he really loves us. We need never to put God to the test. You realize that your prayers, if you're not careful and you're, you're not praying with the right motive and the right centricity into Christ, your prayers are testing, is your way of testing God. God, I'm praying this and if you really love me, you'll answer it. Here I am, God, I'm leaping off in faith and you better answer because if you don't, I'm going to hold it against you. And we're in the midst of fasting. Please be careful that you don't fast to twist God's arm because your fasting will never make God like you more. Your prayer will never make God think, wow, whoa, do they ever like me? Wow, they like me so much more than those guys over there. Yeah, those guys over there, they spend five minutes in prayer about once every year. Those guys over there, they spend five minutes in prayer every three minutes. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. Prayer is outstanding. Just be careful you're not doing it in religion. Just be careful that you're not doing it to put God to the test. May our worship be the same. May we never ever allow our worship to be something to gain from God what we otherwise think we couldn't have gained unless we'd worshipped. Come on! He's good and he's given us all things in Christ and he did it 2,000 years ago before you were born. So pray and worship and fast but do it all joyfully because of what he's done for you centered on the top of Christ. In Christ, centered fully in the dwelling place of God and man, that is Christ Jesus. Amen? And most of all, most of all, Jesus said in John 2, verse, I think around verse 19, he said, destroy this temple and in three days I'll build it up again. I'll raise it up again. And he says he was speaking of his own body. But those around thought that he was talking about the temple. 
So what does that tell me? Just in the worship, the Holy Spirit spoke to me just before we ate the bread and wine. And he said, the other thing about the temptation at the temple was for Jesus to leap off the temple, destroy this body, and in three days, I'll raise it up again. The temple of the man who is God, fully God, on the cross, paying the price for us all, giving his body and his life for us all on the cross. The devil was tempting him. Don't do that. Go leap off and go straight into the blessings of God, your heavenly daddy's hands, without paying the price of the cross. Just like you can have all the nations just bow down and worship me instead of going to the cross. Now, what in the world does all of that have to do with us today? Well, because Christ is in us, everybody. And not only that, but we together, he, we are his dwelling place. Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 2 that we're the living stones together, being built together. All right? Being built together. And sometimes, everybody, being built together is not comfortable. Sometimes being built together means inviting people to your home. Sometimes being built together means forgiving people that don't deserve forgiveness. Which, of course, is the whole point of forgiveness. We'd call it reward if they deserved it. But the point is, together, we can slay giants. Just like Jesus slayed the greatest giant of all, the king of pride, the king of the children of pride himself. That's Job 41, 34. Satan is described as the king of the children of pride. And the king of the children of pride himself, Satan, that's the number one giant that Jesus has slayed for you and me. But we're to continue walking with him under our feet by faith. And we're to continue confronting everything of pride in this world. Number two, we're called together corporately to confront the principality of witchcraft, the principality of mammon and the principality of religion. When we first came down here, my goodness, as we drove, we were driving down from Canada and we drove on the I-85 south from the I-95. And as we're driving down the I-85, getting closer and closer to Raleigh, just us there's five of us, a little family, and our interns that were with us, a beautiful couple from England. And we're driving along, it had been a 15 hour drive, and we're in the last hour, and the closer and closer we got to Raleigh, this wall of intimidation started to hit me in March 2008. Oh, you're gonna come down to Raleigh, eh? You're gonna plant your church, eh? Oh yeah, yeah, well you're gonna fail, because you suck. <laughs> this is America, it's not England or Canada. This is 330 million people. There's a lot of principalities and powers, rulers and authorities in this land and you are going to fail in front of all of them. And you're going to have to go running back up to John Arnott and say, please, can I have my job back, John? And your church is going to last about five minutes. We're going to snuff you out. You think you can do miracles? Oh, yeah, yeah, sure. That's because you were in the corporate anointing up there in Toronto, in the big church. But when you're on your own and you started your little church, yeah, your little church, you're going to see that you really are nothing. And you know, if you start listening to those lies, how many of you can 
you know, can actually relate to a little bit of that, you know. You're just about to go into your job interview and the first thought that comes is, there's no way you're going to get this job. Even though God, your heavenly daddy's prepared that job perfectly for you. Why? Because the father of lies wants to come and lie to you. But I've got good news for you, everybody. The Lord showed me as we went on, first of all, the Lord was building his church. It wasn't even our church. This has never been our church. It's his church. Secondly, he is really successful at building his church. Thirdly, as we began to be confronted by the principalities and powers in this region, we began to discover that we were being snuffed out because we were running out of money left, right and center, it seemed like. And by the time we got to about two and a half years in, it didn't, it didn't matter what came in, it seemed like the expenses were bigger than the revenue. And you know, I realized that what's true of us corporately is also true of us individually often. How many of you can testify to the experience that it doesn't seem, matter how big your paycheck is, it doesn't seem to go far enough to cover the expenses at the end of every month. It's like they just grow out of hand. And I began to ask the Lord, Lord, what is going on? We are failing and we're going to lose our place here in North Carolina not because we weren't anointed enough necessarily, not because we weren't preaching the gospel necessarily, not because of all the spiritual things, but because of one simple little thing. We didn't have enough money to cover our bills. And if you don't have enough money, it doesn't matter how much supernatural you're flowing in, if you don't have enough money to pay your rent, your landlord's going to kick you out. But, but, but I know Jesus. Yeah, well, t take you and Jesus somewhere else. Right? Do you get what I'm saying, everybody? And so I began to say to the Lord, Lord, what's going on? This, it feels like money is literally being blocked. And I can see that there's plenty of money in this city, but the money is not flowing to us. You know what the Lord said? He reminded me of when I did my master's in business management in macroeconomics class. We learned that money flows in a society, in a town, in a city, in a, in a state, in a nation. And there are people who have controlling access to that money and they can decide where and when that money flows and whether it flows to you or not. And of course, there's always value exchange and all the rest of it. I don't want to go into economics. I just want to say this. The Holy Spirit used that, reminded me and said, there are principalities and powers that are cooperating with human hosts that are literally holding the money from flowing to you so that you are spewed out of this land. And I said, well, Lord, what should we do about it? And who are they? And he said, there's three principalities in this region. Witchcraft, mammon, and religion. And where, where, they're, where they meet together is Freemasonry. And, he, and I said, well, Lord, what should I do? He said, get the leaders together, just hold hands together, and ask me to deliver you from the powers of darkness and to unblock the blockages that those demonic principalities and powers with their human hosts are holding so that you are spewed out. Instead of being spewed out, you're going to prosper in this land that I've called you to be prosperous in. 
And so that's what we did, didn't we, Murray? And we got together, a small group of us, just a little group. We held hands together, just like the Lord did. And we asked him, Lord, would you please take care of those principalities and powers for us? And we said, the Lord rebukes you, Satan, and the Lord rebukes you, witchcraft, mammon, and religion in the mighty name of Jesus. And we command blessings from our heavenly daddy that have been purposed for us in this promised land to flow to us in the name of Jesus. And you know what, folks? Right now we're sitting in a $10 million building. Why? 8.5 to $10 million building. Why? Because of that moment. I'm serious. And so what God has done for us corporately, the Lord showed me as I was preparing for this morning, he wants to do for each of you individually, but we're going to do it as a community. Amen. So I'd like you to stand up. We're going to slay some giants. Okay. All right. The Bible tells us, Proverbs 22, 14, that with humility and the fear of the Lord comes riches, blessing, honor, and long life. Say this with me. Heavenly Father, we come to you in the mighty name of Jesus as a community of believers in Christ Jesus that are united with Christ individually and corporately. And we ask your forgiveness for every way we have agreed with pride for every way we have allowed the father of lies to father us by agreeing and believing his lies. We ask your forgiveness for every way that we have sinned against you. Please wash us as a whole church family with the precious blood of Jesus and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And Father, Father of lights, God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, we embrace you as our true Father. And we welcome the Spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit, to lead us right now as we pray. And we stand upon the eternal Word of God Himself, united with Him, Jesus Christ, our eternal Savior. Now stir up your faith, everybody. Here we go. We're facing the giants that have taken occupation in this region. And you will never be hindered by them again after this moment. Blessings is going to flow to you. Riches are going to flow to you. Health is going to flow to you. You're going to be the head and not the tail. You're going to be an overcomer instead of a squished down under. And you will never see yourself as a grasshopper ever again. Grasshoppers trying to jump off temple roofs. Okay, you ready? Heavenly Father, in the mighty name of Jesus, we ask you that you would graciously, on our behalf, take care of witchcraft and mammon and religion and the king of pride and remove them forever from hindering us, hurting us, harming us, withholding from us, 
or partnering with any human being to bring evil against us. In Jesus' name, we declare and decree that we renounce and break agreement with all witchcraft, with all striving to use the power, supernatural power for our own gain. And we renounce and break agreement with wanting to rule in this world and gain pleasure in this world without paying the price of relationship with God. And we renounce and break agreement with all religious self-effort to try to better ourselves, to be more pleasing to you, God. We renounce it all in Jesus' name. And like Jesus, we stand with Jesus and we say to witchcraft, we will not eat bread alone. We will not take anything in this natural world with the Holy Spirit's help except the Word of God to give us our sustenance. And we speak to mammon and we say in the name of Jesus Christ that we will worship the Lord our God only. That with Christ we declare that you, Father, Father of heaven, are alone worthy of our worship. And we declare in the name of Jesus that we will never, with the Holy Spirit's help, put the Lord our God to the test. We say we will not put the Lord our God to the test. In Jesus' name, we separate ourselves by the blood of Jesus, individually and corporately as a family, from all pride, from all witchcraft, from all mammon, and from all religion. In the mighty name of Jesus. Shekabanga. All right. Now say this with me. We declare to the principalities and rulers and authorities that the Lord Jesus Christ rebukes you and that you will run from us. We're not running from you. In Jesus' name, we command this promised land of North Carolina in Christ Jesus to bear great blessing for us so that we can be a blessing on all occasions in the covenant of Abraham. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, hold up your hands and just begin to welcome the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, would you fill me right now? Say that with me, Holy Spirit, would you fill me right now? Say this with me, fill us as a family now in the name of Jesus. Graciously pour out yourself on us the promise of the Father, Lord, that we'll walk out of here in the power of the Holy Spirit. Say that with me one more time, everybody, that we will walk out of here into our families, into our workplaces, our homes, our neighborhoods, and every cafe and restaurant in the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.